Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Three beautiful little words were music to my ears. See, Ann and I had recently taken a a cross-country trip out to California for my buddy's wedding, and because I really wanted to test my faith, we decided to take an airline that doesn't have the best reputation, uh, rhymes with fear it, which is appropriate. We survived. But we get on this flight, and it is a long flight all the way across country. And of course, they've stuck in there like three or four extra rows of seats. So you're just kind of, you know, squished as much as you can. Of course, there's no TV or movies or anything like that. There's not even drinks unless you want to shell out a few extra bucks. Peanuts, forget about it. You're just glad to survive, right? And so the flight, it feels like it's taking forever as we're going all the way across the country. But then... All of a sudden, I hear those three beautiful words come from the cockpit. Prepare for landing. Hallelujah. Prepare for landing. And so, you know, you do the things you got to do, right? You get the the tray table up and you push your bags in. You definitely buckle your seatbelt. All of that as you see the end draw near. That's what you need to do in order to be ready for the end. Perhaps in our case, literally. But we made it once again need to be ready as the end draws near. That's the theme of today's scriptures as well. As all we hear from the prophet Daniel, as well as our Lord Jesus anticipating and prophesying what is yet to come, that there's going to be this time of tremendous trouble and tribulation as uh, Christ's people are going to be handed over even to death. There's going to be opposition and persecution all throughout the world for the people of God. And then our Lord Jesus will come again, that he will raise the living and the dead, that he will then separate the sheep and the goats, those who go to everlasting life and those who go to everlasting contempt. All of this picture of the end is put before us, but the upshot of it for you and me is how we live now. How we live now. How do we prepare ourselves and ready ourselves as the day draws near? the way that the author of Hebrews puts it. As the day draws near, how do you and I live? How do we, so to speak, prepare for landing? And Hebrews comes along as like a helpful pilot and gives us some really concrete instructions for us as we are preparing for landing, as we are readying ourselves for the day to draw near, knowing that it could be today. How do we live? Three things that Hebrews points us to. Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. Draw near, hold fast, stir up. First of all, the author of Hebrews says, draw near to God in the full assurance of faith. This is so vital when we think about what Jesus has told us is going to be coming and perhaps is now here. When we look at the trials and the tribulations that await the people of God, when you're encountering those fires, where do you want to be? You want to be under the sheltering refuge of the Most High. You want to be close to your Lord and Savior. You want to be like those baby chicks that when they encounter trouble, they they flee to the refuge of the mother hen, see? This is the encouragement and the admonition for you and me to draw near to God in that time of trial. And why are we able to do that? Well, Hebrews lays this out as well. 
we are able to do that because we have consciences that have been made clean and clear by the blood of Christ. That he has torn that curtain that divided the holy place from the people of God and that now you and I are able to enter through that new and living way, through his very flesh. We are able to come to him, to draw near to him. You are VIPs in the kingdom of God because of the blood of Jesus. You have a clean conscience. And not only that, the author says, but you have clean bodies that have been washed and made holy, sprinkled, a reference and allusion to holy baptism. That now that you are baptized, washed, made clean and holy, you are able to come and stand before God in a way that in the uh, ancient times only that high priest was able to do. Because now you are all royal priests, the priesthood of the baptized. Now you have been clothed with the holy vestments of Christ's righteousness and you have been summoned and called forth to draw near to God. And how do we do that? I think most, especially the author of Hebrews would say through prayer. It says earlier in Hebrews in chapter 4 that since we have this great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, Christ Jesus, we are able to draw near to the throne of grace so that you and, our, you and I are able to receive grace in our time of need. And so we come before him in prayer, just like when I was preparing for landing, immediately I started praying, right? Lord, have mercy on us. Let's get through there. Uh, so also, as we look forward to the end, we prepare by drawing near to God in prayer. And also, quite literally, in the Lord's Supper, right? We draw near to the Lord's altar. We draw near to receive his very body and blood. We draw near to the God who is near to you and me. And here, receiving his gifts, are reassured of his presence and of the, the promise of his forgiveness given to each and every one of us who've had those consciences made clear in Christ. It's the first way that we prepare for the end, not by tilting up our tray tables, but by drawing near to God. Secondly, the author says, we need to hold fast, to hold fast with hope and our confession of hope. I'm reminded of the story from the ancient epic, the Odyssey. And there's this moment in the Odyssey where Odysseus and his men, they're on their ship and they're making their way home, but they're, they're going to be crossing an island of the Sirens. You remember hearing about this? The sirens. And who are the sirens? The sirens were these, these beautiful women who were able to, to call out and cry out, and their song was irresistible. When anyone heard the song of the sirens, they couldn't help be lured near that island. And then, in keeping with the sirens' intention all along, they would shipwreck. They would crash their ship on the rocks and then drown to their watery death. In fact, it says in the Odyssey that the sirens, as they're singing their beautiful song from the meadows, they're underneath of them and behind them are the bones of countless dead men who listened to that siren song. Odysseus knows about this as he's getting ready to cross and go past the sirens. And so what does he do? He lashes himself to the mast. He ties himself to the mast so that he'd be able to hold fast when he encounters those temptations that he knew were going to be there. And in so doing, he was able to make it past the sirens safely. The application for you and me in our world today, I think is pretty clear because we live amid all sorts of siren songs, do we not? All of those things that call to us, all of the, those temptations that we have to try and live a, a faith without sacrifice or love without truth, 
to accrue and attain wisdom without knowledge, knowledge without wisdom, information just constantly piling up, and we think then we're truly wise. We have all of those siren songs of of the markets and social media, of this or that election that somehow is going to be able to fix things once and for all. There are unnumbered siren songs calling to you and me to put our hope, to put our trust in those things, to think that if I just had that, if that thing, if that event just happened, then all would be well with the world, then our lives would be great, would be at peace. But they are all illusory hopes. And if you and I listen to them, we can't help but have our faith be made shipwrecked, to crash upon those rocks of the false hopes offered by our world. So what do we do instead? We lash ourselves to the mast of God's word. We hold fast to the hope given in Christ Jesus, recognizing, knowing that there is hope in nothing and no one else. But we also have this hope and this confidence that when our grip gets weak, Christ Jesus is the one who lashed himself to the mast of the cross for you and me. That he holds you fast when you hold slow. (laughs) When you start to feel weak, still he holds on to you and to me. And so, hold fast to the one who holds fast to you, and all the more as the day draws near. So Hebrews tells us that as we are preparing for landing, as we're looking forward to our Lord's coming, we need to draw near to God in faith, to draw, to hold fast with hope. And then thirdly, to stir up to love. There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years in our culture. People have talked about conspiracies. And when I hear about conspiracies, I picture in my mind's eye the guy from the Inspector Gadget cartoons, you know, just the, the scary hand. He's in the dark room and hatching uh, awful plans with the maniacal laugh. <laughs> Although I do like that razor, that teaching that says, never uh, um, give to a, a conspiracy which could just as well be explained by incompetence. I think that's a helpful thing to remember. Be that as it may. Hebrews calls us to a different kind of conspiracy, a conspiracy of love. Sounds like it could be a band name or something, right? A conspiracy of love, as it says, consider, conspire, how you can stir up one another to love and good works. This is the call that is given to us as the people of God to consider, to carefully look at, to think about how we can hatch some plans to encourage, to build up one another as the people of God to go out and to live lives of love and good works. That's what we ought to be expending our energies on. How we can can think about how we can bring what we have here out into the world. The church is not supposed to be like Las Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not what the church is supposed to be like. What happens here can't help but go out there. That's what we want to be thinking about, reflecting upon, contemplating, and yes, conspiring in how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I heard recently a wonderful story of some Christians doing this down in Texas in the San Antonio area. A young woman by the name of Jessica Cry, she and her church, they heard about a man in the community who had suffered a detached retina. 
and he was facing a life of blindness if he didn't get this really, really expensive surgery. But the man didn't have the resources to pay for it, and so here he was. He was looking ahead to a life of blindness. He already was, was pretty uh, down on his luck. It was just him and his wife living in this apartment, trying to make ends meet. So Jessica conspired, along with some other believers at her church, how can we bless this couple? How can we help this man? Maybe we can raise some funds in order to help him get his surgery. And they did. They started doing these fundraisers, and they came over. They visited the man and brought him all sorts of, of food and gifts for him and his wife, which is beautiful in its own right. But even more so when you know that the man, a guy by the name of Patrick Green, was a notorious atheist in that community. He was outspoken in his unbelief. He'd, he'd given several lawsuits against Christians. He had sued to try and stop having the nativity scene put on the courthouse lawn. And yet, in spite of all that, Jessica and her co-conspirators thought about how can we stir up love and good works in order to bless this man. And he didn't ultimately become a Christian through all of that, although he did pay for the star on top of the Christmas tree in the nativity scene. But in that, they were able to give witness to the God whose heart is for all people, that all would be saved, that all would know his love, that none are outside that circle of his blessing. Imagine if Christians the world over redirected all of their energies and efforts instead of, of frustration or anxiety or resentment, if we in, instead rechanneled all of those energies and efforts to conspiring together how we can stir up one another to love and to good works. And all the more as the day draws near. I want to close where the author of Hebrews closes too, though. Because he says that there is a linchpin that holds all of this together, which is this. To gather together, just as we are doing this morning, as the people of God. He says, don't neglect to gather together, as is the habit of some. And really, that word neglect is too weak. It'd be better translated as forsake. It's the same word that Jesus uses on the cross. Don't forsake the fellowship of your fellow believers. Don't forsake the gathering together as the people of God to receive his gifts. Oh, somebody might object at this point. I mean, really, okay, that was, maybe that was important 2,000 years ago, but we live as modern people. We've got all sorts of modern technology. We live in a post-pandemic digital age. And so why bother to gather together? Isn't it just as well for me to, you know, to, to log on at my convenience in my pajamas to receive a little hit of God's word and then to go forward with my life? No. Okay, you guys are here. I'm preaching to the choir here. But let me lay it out for you just to reinforce for you why it is so vital that we gather together as the people of God. First of all, you need it, okay? Not telling you anything you don't know, but you need it. You need to be here. You need to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters. You need to rub elbows with your fellow uh, brethren in the faith. It encourages us. It builds one another up. We need that time with one another. You need to be here to receive the embodied gifts of God that don't go across bandwidth, but can only be received in person as we receive Jesus' very body and blood. That is more vital than any vaccine, more essential than any vitamin. It is the medicine of immortality. And if you aren't receiving it, then you aren't getting that strength that you need in order to live this difficult life of faith in a world that runs contrary to God's ways. Amen? You need it. That's why you should bother, first of all. But secondly, and don't overlook this, 
your brothers and sisters need you here as well. I think we get stuck in this individualistic mindset where maybe we're able to persuade ourselves, well, you know what, I'm going to be okay. Whether I come or don't come, I know that I'm going to be all right. Don't just think about yourself, but look around. The body of Christ, one another, your fellow believers are encouraged when you are here. You have gifts that only you can offer. Only you have your smile. Only you have your way of of spurring one another on. Only you can be, be you for each other. And so, yeah, you need to be here for yourself. But you need to be here for your brothers and sisters as well. That's how God has ordained it. And all the more as the day draws near, as the end comes nigh, we need to draw near to God in faith, to hold fast with hope to the Lord who holds fast to you, and to stir one another up in love. And believe it. Remember those three beautiful words. Prepare for landing, because that day is coming very soon. Thanks be to God. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.